Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Wow, this is a really big topic and something that comes up so often in in my communities, on Facebook and private communities, we are always in these conversations about food. And I am super excited to bring this guest to you guys. This conversation is going to be fantastic. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to make some connections that maybe we didn't expect to make. So let's take a minute and welcome Dr. Joan Ifland to the show. Dr. Iflan, thank you for being here and doing this with me. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled. I am just thrilled to be here. This is one of my most favorite populations. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Well, why don't you take a second and tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? So I have, uh, I am a PhD in addictive nutrition. I have spent 26 years since uh, between turning 44, and I've just turned 70, um, developing this field. The field is addiction to processed foods. It is a new field. It's an emerging field. But I did write the textbook for the field. And you're going to say, how, you know, could there possibly be enough research to support a textbook? And the answer is there's so much research on obesity, eating disorders, and drug addiction that is actually describing addiction to processed foods. The researchers don't know it. They don't have the language for it, but you can find evidence for almost any aspect of processed food addiction in the research. So I wrote the textbook between 2014 and 2017. And in it, I learned that this is, a, this is an unusually severe addiction because it starts in childhood. Because sugar, for example, there are about seven categories of addictive processed foods, but sugar, for example, is more addicting than cocaine. And you have these big corporations who are hiring addiction scientists to make the products addicted. They're using the tobacco business model I have an MBA from Stanford, very old MBA, 1978. But I, um, and I worked in a corporation for five years after business school. And I really am interested in the impact of business models. So the tobacco industry created the addiction business model. Maybe they didn't create it, but they really honed it. It's, I call it the five A's. I, I'm, I am getting to the answer of what, what I do. What I do is fight these corporations all day. It's advertising, availability, affordability, uh, addictive properties hidden in the product. Like they hid extra nicotine in cigarettes. They've now hid extra sugar, fat, salt, gluten, dairy, processed fats, caffeine in processed foods. They hid them. And then young age. So while they were trying as cigarette manufacturers to go after 10-year-old boys with the Joe Cool Camel cartoon campaign, 
uh, with processed foods, no holds barred. They could get right to the baby bottle and fill it up with sugar. So this is an unusually severe addiction is what I discovered in the textbook. And we are very, very traumatized by it because most of us have had it for our whole lives. We've transferred it to other addictions and then taken it back. And uh, it's very, until recently, it's been almost impossible to find the appropriate help. So it's been labeled weight loss or eating disorders uh, or overeating, but it's, it's a straight up substance use disorder. And it meets the criteria for the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria for alcoholism. You know, you and I were talking a little bit before recording that, you know, in my audience knows I've spoken very openly about my own food and nutrition journey and weight journey and all those things. And one of the things I realized for sure is, you know, food and sugar were my first addictions long before, long before I ever had a drink of alcohol. Yes, And something that I've thought about, and you are the perfect person to ask this. I've thought about this often because I was a child in the seventies. And when I look back, you know, we did not eat healthy food. You know, it was, everything was cooked in grease and bacon, grease, lard, Crisco, whatever. Uh, We ate a ton of homemade, you know, rolls, biscuits, a big glass of milk with every meal. But there were not very many obese people, certainly not like it is now. And I was asking my mom this a while back and I was like, why, like, what is the difference? Like, I don't understand what has changed because again, we didn't eat healthy, but I think the difference is it wasn't processed. Everything we ate was whole fresh food and everything was made from scratch. Is that an accurate statement or? I'll offer a few, I'll offer a few ideas. I grew up in the fifties. My mother was just raised as a spoiled child and she didn't know how to cook. So we had a lot of those convenience foods in our home growing up as well. And yes, nobody was, nobody, I mean, it was rare, very rare that somebody was overweight. Okay. So a couple of amazing and horrifying things happened in the 1980s. A number one, high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup converts to fat on the body two and a half times more efficiently than sugar. Wow. Okay, so that was one big thing. The next big thing was the food pyramid. The food pyramid was a very corrupt process. It was the first dietary guidelines. And at the bottom row of the food pyramid was all highly addictive processed foods. So suddenly highly addictive processed foods were everywhere because all the federally funded agencies have to follow those guidelines. But there was another set of eyes on those guidelines and it was the tobacco executives. So the other thing that was happening in the 70s and 80s was that tobacco companies were finally losing in court and they were finally starting to have to pay out these billions and billions of dollars of penalties. And they had to deposit 40,000 documents at University of California, San Francisco was the depository for those internal documents. Well, now we know. 
Well, now we know they moved over to processed foods in the mid-1980s. They now remember one of the five A's of the addiction business model is affordability. The, the substance has to be cheap enough that you can buy it often enough that you can addict the reward centers in your brain. Well, when high fructose corn syrup came on the market, that solved the affordability problem because before that they were, were dependent on the sugar cartel in Florida, another set of drug merchants. <laughs> We saw in 1963, a tobacco company take over Hawaiian Punch. And in these internal documents, you see the very point by point transference of the addiction business model from tobacco to sugar for children. So things like the packaging, that's why juice boxes are in the, the same kind of shape as a package of cigarettes. It's why you buy multiple sodas at one time, like you bought multiple cigarettes at one time. So they're available. They took out the tobacco vending machines and they put in soda and snack machines. Availability, you've got to be able to put your hand on it and get it in order to addict those brain cells. But the, there were, the two big ones were, not only was the government not pursuing them in court, the government was advertising their addictive products and is requiring federally funded institutions to supply them. And then you had this very cheap, so affordable is the next piece. You had this very cheap sweetener suddenly, very mm -hmm. cheap. High fructose corn syrup compared to cane sugar is incredibly cheap. And you just see the obesity epidemic um, mushroom right out of that. What was it for you that interested you in this field of work? So in uh, 1996, 26 years ago, I um, had a yo-yo. I was a yo-yo diet. After my kids were born, the addiction uh, really took off and I started yo-yo dieting, which makes the addiction much worse. This is another reason why this is such a severe addiction, because it's aided, it's helped, it's augmented by the food seeking brain. Because this particular addiction manifests as the accumulation of fat tissue on the body, people starve themselves uh, through fasting and dieting. When you starve yourself, we now have the research. In fact, I'm the, in, inside my organization, I'm going to be giving a workshop this weekend on intermittent fasting and how it makes processed food addiction so much worse. But we've got clear evidence that when you don't eat for any length of time, uh, 24 hours, that you hyperactivate the addicted brain cells. And now you have food seeking on top of the addiction. Food seeking, uh, we experienced that as binging. So in primitive times for 7 million years of human evolution, if you were in a famine is the leading cause of death on the planet. We have big parts of the brain are highly sensitive to the idea that there might be a famine going on. And if the brain decides that there's a famine going on, it flips and it starts seeking food. The behavior changes when you seek food. If you find any, you eat it all as fast as you can because there are predators circling who want to eat you. And you also, you don't want your tribe to see that you have found food. 
So until you get to famine, cooperating closely with your tribe is your best survival mechanism. But if there's a famine afoot, then you your best survival mechanism is not to let your tribe see that you have found food. And so you eat everything you can as fast as you can. You've got predators coming in. You've got your tribe members possibly discovering you. And then you run away from that spot and you hide. And that's what binging is. That's exactly what binging is. That is, that is survival behavior. You don't want your tribe to find you. You don't want the predators to find you. You don't want them to know that you found something to eat. You run away and hide. And that's what bingers do. They binge, they eat as fast, everything they can as fast as they can. And then they're, they're filled with shame and they want to hide. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's not childhood issues. It's not self-sabotage. It's not you hate yourself. It's not emotional eating. It's not night eating. It's um, binging in response to dieting and fasting. Mm, That's powerful. So in food addiction, processed food addiction, how is that process similar or the same as drug and alcohol addiction? It's virtually identical, except for the, the things that we've talked about so far that makes it worse. It's a hidden mm-hmm. addiction. Like people didn't know right. they were addicted to nicotine until they went to quit. And people are not being given the right language about quitting this broad array of highly addictive substances. So they don't know that they're trying to quit an addiction from you know, seven broad categories of, of food that we just talked about, but also food additives. Tobacco industry added substances, a substance that that has been reported in the research, to low tar cigarettes to make them, to make the experience of them as addictive as regular cigarettes. So this is just tobacco all over again, times 10, because it affects children. Children are growing up trying to gain life skills through an addicted brain. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why we have this immersion recovery program online is because people are picking up life skills now for the first time in their lives. Yeah, that's a huge part of addiction recovery too. Is you do get stunted in your drug and alcohol abuse stages for sure. Your emotional growth is stunted. Yes. And, and then we give up our substance and all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, wait a minute. I was drinking to numb all those feelings and that was my coping skill. Yes. <laughs> and it was the only one I had. It's like, now I don't have that one. Like, what the heck am I supposed to do with all well, this? Well, millions of people just switch over to processed foods. You can easily numb on processed foods. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah and we talk about those things a lot too, because I always say, as an addicted person, I can really misuse almost anything. You know, I have to be very aware. Um, you know, one of my favorite numbing activities is shopping uh-huh. and it's mm-hmm. not, it's not spending, but for me, like I can go to the store and I can just wander and look and meander. And it is this, it is an escape, right? Mm-hmm. It's my escape from the outside world. Mm-hmm. I'll turn the ringer off on my phone and I'm just quiet time with myself. 
And, and I have to be mindful of that, yes. right? Because I could easily misuse yes. it. And the same thing with dating, dating yes, really to misuse. Yes. Yeah. And love and codependence and enmeshment and, and all of those lovely things that we love to do. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I have to be mindful of really my intent what is my intent behind the things that I'm doing, right? Am I going shopping because I'm having a day off and a couple hours of quiet time? Fantastic. If I'm going shopping to escape the world (laughs) or to numb, then I'm doing it wrong and I need to talk about it. All right. This is brilliant. (laughs) I think what you just said is the key. It's knowing your brain. It's knowing when you are attracted to something because it's going to get you high or when you're attracted to something because it's going to make you healthy. Yeah. But it's so hard. I think certainly in early recovery, because I know it took me many, many, many years to figure this stuff out in my own behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you don't realize that you're really chasing the high Mm -hmm. of things. And And that was a big realization I had to come to with relationships for sure. I was like, wow, I've never dated in a healthy way or well, certainly before my recovery journey, I never dated in a healthy way. I was just jumping one person to the next, chasing the high. I love the high. Mm -hmm. And they say love is a drug for a reason because it feels good. It's (laughs) activating the exact same addiction pathways as the drugs. Right. And if it feels good and I like it, I will want more of it. Yeah. Even if it's (laughs) whether it's people, ice cream, shop, whatever it is, you know, I can get unhealthy with it. But it's hard to really start to understand those things and to be able to look at it a little more objectively. Mm -hmm. You know, that takes it takes time. And I love that you're talking, I love that you're talking about too that this really is an addiction because. I know there's some controversy over whether or not food can be addictive or if it's really an addiction. Yeah. And certainly as an addicted person, I, I can attest to that. Yeah. But it's, well, but I love this breadth of knowledge and information. I did, too. You know, the life just came about my father died and he left me enough money to live on right at the same time that CRC press asked me to write the textbook. And so I had three years full time. I didn't have to do, I I took care of my stepmom and her facility for three years. I looked at something like six or 8,000 studies. And uh, there are 2,000 studies cited in the textbook. So the textbook is built very methodically on the existing research of which there is a lot. So Mm -hmm. that debate, if you see somebody trying to say that processed food addiction doesn't exist. They haven't seen the textbook. They don't have, uh, they don't have anything to stand on. Like you'll see somebody write, well, I know it doesn't exist because it doesn't have a withdrawal syndrome. It has a withdrawal syndrome. You get the headache and the stomach ache and the lethargy and the irritability and the depression. And it goes on for an acute phase, just like alcoholism for four days, increased cravings, some people it's eight days, some people they they get through the eight days and then they have another kind of rough period at 10 days later. It's different, but it is distinct and it's describable. 
So, yeah, yeah I was going to ask you about that too. It's not a, it has, it has a huge behavior component. People mm-hmm. are engaged in really deep behavior patterns, but it's driven by substances that activate. Well, that's another reason it's such a severe addiction. The more different substances you're using, the harder it is to put the whole thing into remission. So all these seven broad categories of substance are activating the dopamine and the serotonin and the cannabinoid, same as marijuana, and the opiate pathways. So it's a it's it's a polysubstance abuse syndrome. And it's another reason. You've got to get all, very gradually, it might take a couple of years, but it doesn't do any good just to get off sugar because the addiction will transfer right over to flour. It doesn't do any right. good to get off of sugar and flour because the addiction will transfer right over to dairy. And it doesn't do any good to get off those three because then all of a sudden you want to eat salty, fatty things. But just knowing that here's the list. I've got all the time in the world. I'm in a great support community. Uh, they're going to show me how I can figure out my next steps. This is what's missing. I really appreciate you saying that too, and really viewing this as a long-term journey, Uh you know, because we talk about that in substance also. It's like, you know, you don't get treatment, you don't get cancer treatment one time and just move on with your life, you know, and and addiction is the same way. Like oftentimes this takes many tries and it is over a period of time. And I always talk about it, um, as practice, right. We're practicing. And I know my food journey has really been that it's practice. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do really well, but I'm learning myself and I'm learning my limitations and I'm learning how to better protect myself. Yes. Um, and what the challenges are and what my weaknesses are and, and how to, have reinforcement. Like it, it, it's a journey. It really is a long-term journey. And it's, it is also another reason why this is such a severe addiction is because everybody around us is addicted. So I just looked at this study, adolescents in the U S eat 67% of their calories in addictive substances, all these processed foods. So one of the strongest parts of the brain is mirror neurons and they will copy. It's helpless. Yeah. They will. This, this is a survival mechanism. So we are constantly being triggered by the addiction scientists at the corporations, but also by the people that they've addicted around us. So we talk about a lifelong journey. Yes. It's something that we call Q load management. Like, okay, if I was just around somebody who I didn't know pretty well and I watched them eat processed foods, my cue load is through the roof. I need to make sure I don't go in the grocery. I need to make sure that I don't do anything to make it worse right now. I need to let that dopamine settle down again. And I need possibly maybe go take a walk in the woods. So find a method for elevating dopamine that has a lot of positive consequences, Uh, meditation, um, reading something positive, being in community releases oxytocin. So that's why community, 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 because maybe, you know, your, your neuropathy, your pleasure neuropathways are all shut down, but oxytocin is not. 
So we say, just like you say in the 12 step groups, get to a meeting, get to a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always saying, I know like the, uh, the majority of my listeners right now are rolling their eyes. They're like, we know because Angela always says tribe, find your tribe. (laughs) You have to have a tribe. You have to have that sense of connection and community. And yeah, it's so important. But now you have these addiction scientists working very, very, very hard to get alcoholics to transfer the addiction to processed foods. So the, the, the addiction product formulation that took place in the 1980s means that in 1970s, somebody coming off of alcohol could safely eat a slice of bread. But by the 1990s, they had hired this consultant, Howard Moskowitz, Harvard-trained experimental psychology of marketing. And he had developed this method for maximizing and hiding so that the consumer couldn't tell, uh, maximizing the amount of sugar, fat, salt in products, something innocuous like pasta sauce. In 1970, pasta sauce was not an addictive substance, but by the 1990s, it was. But in the meanwhile, secretly, the tobacco industry ramped up the sugar, fat, salt in that sliced bread. So these highly vulnerable people still, you know, still controlled by the addicted brain cells. The brain cells are screaming, oh, yeah, 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 go get that bread. Because the addicted brain cells can say, oh, look, there's enough sugar, fat, salt in that product that we can maintain dominance in the brain. We'll just get this, this, we'll get our victim, our host transferred from alcohol to processed foods. Oh, this will work great and we'll still be in control. So things changed right under our noses, right under our feet. Processed foods make you very tired, brain fogged, sleepy, lethargic. Um, just It's just a drain. Yeah, this was going to be my next question to you too, was to touch on the effect that these foods have on our mood and how we feel. And, you know, too, I want to say one of the things that I always try to stress when talking about any kind of food eating, disordered eating, anything like that, to me, this is one of the most challenging addictions for sure, because there's no abstinence, right? Like, it's pretty easy for me to not have any tequila right or out, beer, right or, you out. know, whatever your love is, but you can't have no food. Yes, yes, you can have no drug foods. So yeah. just like you would say, uh, you, you know, you would just like call BS on somebody who says, well, I can't stop drinking because I have to have fluids. No, 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 no. You've got alcoholic addictive fluids and you've got safe fluids. Food is now the same. You have these very destructive sugar, fat, salt, dairy, processed fats, gluten, caffeine, food additives. They are the alcohol of the food world. And then you have food. You have animal proteins and you have plant proteins and you have vegetables that still look like vegetables and your fruits that still look like fruit and you have starches, still look like starches and you have safe fats, non-processed fats. So, Angela, if there's just one thing that your audience gets out of this conversation, it's that. And we, in our recovery, in our food addiction recovery circles, because there are 12-step groups for food addiction recovery, 
We fight mm-hmm. every day for abstinence. There are so, 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 so many substances and they're hidden everywhere. We're doing brain training. These foods, pain, you know, to, to create the association in the brain. I remember learning some of this way back, um, you know, 25, 30 years ago when the low carb diet hit the scene and everybody went crazy. And in Los Angeles, especially people went crazy for this diet. And it was during that, that I started to learn about what you were talking about, about all the hidden sugars. Like you said, pasta sauce and ketchup, right? Because all my friends were doing this low carb thing and they were like, Oh, I can't have that. I can't have that. I'm like, what are you talking about? ketchup isn't sugary, you know, but yeah, but it was, it was my red syrup, right. It was my first exposure to those things being in so many of our kind of regular foods. Yeah. So let's hit on that. How does this stuff really affect your mood? Like, what is it doing to you physically, mentally, emotionally? Okay. So processed foods do the same thing that drugs do only worse. What do drugs do? What is an addiction? An addiction is hyperactivated reward brain cells. What those reward brain cells are supposed to do is very gently every now and then release some pleasure into the brain so that life is enjoyable. But addictive substances hyperactivate them. And instead of releasing a nice little trickle, they're releasing a tsunami. And that tsunami is big enough to get control of of behavior. But the other big thing that those addicted brain cells are doing is they're pulling the blood supply away from the frontal lobe. They're taking out the brain's blood supply. So in the frontal lobe, you have the ability to pay attention, learn, make decisions, remember, and control impulses. Right. Weigh risk and reward. What? Yes. Evaluate, analyze. And that is why even... You, you can't train yourself out of an addiction because it, it, you have to actually give up the substance and stop the queuing, you know, can't go into the bar anymore, all that stuff. It's one of the, another reason why recovery from processed food addiction is so much harder. It's because the queuing is everywhere. It's available everywhere. You could reasonably expect to get through a day without laying eyes on alcohol or laying eyes on somebody drinking alcohol. Well, I don't know anymore because my gym is serving alcohol. Starbucks was serving wine. I mean, yeah, there are no safe spaces anymore. But do you know where you're not going to see it? You're not going to see it at a breakfast meeting in your office. Right. But you will see highly addictive, destructive processed foods. So you, you have this whole group of mental disorders Uh, the attention deficit, learning disabilities, poor decision-making, poor impulse control, memory loss. Those are all processed foods because they all come back. I want to just like get your, your, your listeners excited about the idea. Wow. They, that I could get that back. You know, doctors don't really know about this. And then you have the emotional ones. I call it DOS, depression, irritability, anxiety, and shame. Depression comes because all those feel good pathways in the brain get worn out. The receptors actually collapse. Depression, irritability, these foods elevate adrenaline in the body. The body's trying to adjust 
and stabilize um, blood glucose. And adrenaline is one of the hormones that it uses for that. Uh, insulin brings down glucose too fast when you've had sugar or flour. And then adrenaline brings the glucose back up. So you've got adrenaline in your system, which doesn't have anything to do with life, but you're feeling angry and afraid all the time. Not connected to life. It's just having these this extra adrenaline in your body. So you've got a whole array of emotional um, distress that just goes away. It just goes away. The reason I got into this field almost 26 years ago is that my raging stopped, stopped. Mm. I've been doing all these things. Uh, my children were 11 and 12 years old, desperately did not want to be raging at them. And there I would, it would just pop up and there I would be raging. And it stopped just with the sugar and flour. I didn't know about all the other addictive substances that we know about today. So um, people who are told they're emotional eating, no, 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 no. The emotion activates the addiction. You're addictively eating. The emotional brain cells are intertwined with the addicted brain cells. And so stress is a big activator of the addiction. But it's a mechanical issue. And mm -hmm. you're not an emotional eater. You're an addictive eater. And your addiction is triggered by emotions. And then the right. physical is almost endless because uh, we just got a great book this year, Metabolical by Rob Lustig. He is, a, is an endocrinologist by training. He goes through the eight ways in which processed foods make cells dysfunctional. So if your cells are not working, anything in your body, you know, the most vulnerable part of your body is going to, to manifest the disease first. But I will tell you in the 26 years, I know this sounds over the top, but I have to say it anyway. In the 26 years I've been doing this, unless something has been surgically removed, lost in an accident or completely eroded away, it will start to work again. Mm -hmm. it, we see diabetes easily go into remission. The markers for heart disease go into remission. And none of our members, our community members ever get cancer. They might come in with cancer and it might clear up, but they don't get cancer when they've gotten off the processed foods. Um, all the skin disorders, the gut disorders, irritable bowel syndrome. My asthma has gotten better because these foods are inflammatory, right? Right. So it's really fun. I mean, I know we're just like, oh, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. No, my goodness, this is so much fun, people. I love this because it gives us something I know for sure that people with addiction yeah. struggle with, certainly under the 12-step model of powerlessness, right? but we really struggle with that word. And I don't because I mean, I get it. It makes perfect sense to me. I'm powerless. Once alcohol is in my body, once alcohol is right, then I'm powerless. Yeah. But it's something I try to stress so much is how much power we have in our we daily lives, in the choices we that we're making and the things we're doing. You have an enormous amount of power to care for yourself, heal yourself, prevent yourself from having illnesses and weakness and inflammation and all that comes with it. And 
healing depression, anxiety. I mean, there's a million studies about the connection of food to those things and that exercise is more helpful than any medication. We have so much power just in the choices we have. And this is, I can't second you more. (laughs) I can't second you enough. We are chemical refineries and either the food industry or the corporations are going to be at the control of our chemicals or we are, but it's going to take a lot of training to understand the methods of the corporations and disengage from them and protect ourselves and our loved ones from their their addiction business model. But yes, yes. And we are constantly, we say, I decide what I do. I decide what I feel. I decide what I think. And we're constantly training on how to know yourself so that you decide how you're feeling and you decide what you need. Yeah, Angela, I'm so excited you said that. I know one of the really shocking things for me that I noticed in myself first was that sugar made me sad. Like I I recognized pretty quickly that made me tired. And that was something that really helped me in my journey of moving away from sugar, which, you know, is still an ongoing battle for me. And most days I win the battle and some days I don't, but I know for sure, like it makes me super tired. And that's something that I can rationalize in a, in a logical and simple way when I'm having an ice cream craving, right? I have to stop and go, dude, you've got a lot to do today. Like you can't be, you can't have the sugar crash and want to go take a nap. Like we've got stuff to accomplish. Uh, But then again, the surprising thing to me was when I started to correlate that, like I would have ice cream one day and the next day I literally would be sad, like in, you know, in the fatigue and lethargy, but what has been something really surprising to you that you've learned in your course of study? Well, um, I think that 26 years ago, the raging. Sure. So we know that 80% of violent uh, offenders have hypoglycemia, not enough blood sugar. I was shocked because I was raised by two ragers. I definitely, I was desperate not to raise my children that way. So for me, the biggest surprise and the one that actually launched me into this career was the release from raging. Yeah, I love everything else. The sinus infection went away, the allergies went away, the fatigue went away, the cravings went away, the brain fog went away, all of that stuff went away. But the one, I mean, it was the third Thursday in January, 1996, standing in my kitchen. I'd been off of sugars and flowers for three weeks and realizing that I hadn't raged at anybody in three weeks. It's fast. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is people think, oh, well, immediate gratification. This happens fast. Diabetes will start to go into remission within nine days. We have a great study showing that fatty liver will start to clear up within nine days. High blood pressure just starts heading towards normal within a couple of weeks. It's fast. Mm -hmm. Your body, the original factory settings, the original blueprint is there. And you just take this mess off your body and your brain and you're just like this okay i'm going to tell you i had a recent surprise so a couple of weeks ago i turned 70 
And I thought for all these years, you know, I'm, well, I'm going to deteriorate at some point and I, and I'll have decades where I just can't do. No, I finally, it dawned on me, you know, when I turned 50, it was much healthier because I'd gotten off of sugars and flowers. When I turned 60, I'd gotten off more stuff and I'd gotten out of a not great marriage. And now that I've turned 70, I'm much healthier today than I was 10 years ago. I am just like, I realizing aging and infirmity do not go together. Mm. The infirmity yeah. is coming from the progressive, progressive deterioration from the processed foods. Yeah. It has been such a great journey for me in learning about food and really making big changes in my diet. And, you know, something for so many years, I had this sort of heaviness about me, just heavy, like my mood was heavy. My energy was heavy. Um, I never had like clinical depression, but I always just felt a little heavy. Like you see happy go lucky people. And I did not have that. And, Mm -hmm. um, and always tired. I mean, for years, probably two decades, I was like, gosh, I wonder if I have chronic fatigue or something like this isn't normal to be this tired. And I'll tell you in the last two years, I've really been on this food and exercise journey for almost two years. Now, December will be two years in this last two years. I've been blown away by how much better I feel and the energy I have and lighter. Like I don't have all of that heaviness weighing me down. And it has, I mean, it has been a hell of a ride. It is not always easy, but what an incredible journey. And I think about just like you're saying with aging, I'll be 50 next year. And when I think about that, I love getting older. I love getting older. I love being more confident. I love accomplishment. I love being more comfortable in my own skin. I love getting older, but I do not want to have physical limitations. I have, I have nieces and nephews that are little. And I think I don't ever want to not be able to go jump on the trampoline with them. And really I want to be playing with their kids in 20 years. You know, that's what I want. Yeah. And those are the things I think about, you know, when I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, that big fat plate of whatever food looks really good. I'm like, it's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. Yeah. Oh, Angela, aren't you excited? (laughs) I'm so excited. I love, well, and listen, I'm a good old fashioned alcoholic. I'm a control freak. So for me to have this much control in my life and the outcome of my life just thrills me to death. I love having that kind of power and knowing that I can really, you know, treat myself and work on myself and make myself feel better. It's incredible. I have to say your, your audience is lucky to have. Oh, thank you. Um, Because uh, my brother and sister both have struggled with substances. I, I, I feel like I know that world. I never had to struggle with them because I could always reach for the sugar anytime, night or day. So thank you so much. Which yeah. is so, which is why it's so easy to switch back, right? When you yeah, give you up the alcohol, it. it's easy to yeah. switch over. And especially, I mean, listen, in 12 step groups, we are certainly guilty of this. Every meeting you walk into, it's cookies yeah. and muffins and donuts. And 
thank you for all of your research and the knowledge that you're sharing. Like this stuff is so important. And I really appreciate you coming on and doing this episode with us. Well, I got to tell you, I could do all the research in the world, but I need people like you who are going to get the word out. So we're, we're a good team here. Absolutely. Thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.